Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello, and how are you? I'm good. I'm Jonah. Brad. And here we are. Here we are, once again. Tracks. It's a mythical place. Yes. In we Brooklyn. Had some really cool people come through this morning. In mythical Brooklyn. Yes. Shout out to Frameworks, we're just here. Check them out. Toured with them a lot. They're a great band. From Florida. From Florida. Just signed. Nice guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good. Really good. And uh, yeah, we had some other cool people here, so... You just, Jonah, it's your life, dude. You just hang out with cool people, well, talk to them. I was telling Brad. Make I them feel good about themselves. I love Frameworks, <laughs> and I loved, we were able to hook them up with shoes, which was so validating for me because I was telling Brad, I remember, I think last time United Nations was on tour with them, we were like, hey, do you want to meet at Panera Bread? And they were like, uh, I was like, what? And they're like, it's pretty expensive. Like, we're thinking we're just going to go to Burger King. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah, I remember being there. I mean, they're uh, they're way younger than me. They're yeah. all like, you know, like 21, 25. But uh, yeah, I remember that time. So like, I think they were so psyched. It's the worst. Yeah. 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 Like touring with like literally like at the most 10 bucks to spend on food every day. Yeah. You're so psyched when somebody gives you a meal or. What's amazing though too is that like for some reason you always have money to spend on like beer and weed, <laughs> but then you're like you're like yeah, but I had no money for food. I don't know. Like I Dude, priorities. Yeah, man. totally, totally. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, yeah, saw them play Vitus last night. That was great. Um, what's new with you, Brad? South by Southwest is coming up. Coming up. Yeah. So probably this will probably be released around. Right, yeah, and that's happening, right? Yeah, we putting this out next week. Yeah, okay. So yeah, it's Here coming you are up. behind the scenes. Yeah, is there anything so, people yeah. can check out? Are you guys doing any like showcases or anything? Um, well, no. I mean, we've got a rubber tracks pop up at a place called Twelfth Street Studio. Um, it's going to be just what we do here, recording local bands only. But I'll be hanging out at fader fort and all that crap so if you're in austin and you want to meet brad in person <laughs> go to the fader fort yeah and you might get to actually meet him <laughs> yeah because there won't be anybody else there to like you know <laughs> to confuse me with <laughs> yes it's only the biggest venue in uh, south by yeah yeah it'll be easy to spot um i'll have a beer in my hand Yes, barely have a beer. Unlike everybody else there. <laughs> um, so today in the podcast, we have, hey. we have our friend Matthew Cause, who's a singer for Not A Surf. Um, he also did one of our live podcasts yeah. at Union Hall and played a couple songs. And uh, Not A Surf has a new record that just came out last Friday called You Know Who You Are on Barsook Records. And it's great. I actually just reviewed it for the AV Club. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've known Matthew for a long time and I've been wanting to get him on the podcast literally for years. Um, cause he used to live here and we used to see each other around town a lot and we're friendly, but he's, he's gone a lot now. Yeah. So it was but, cool. We talked about kind of his childhood moving around, going to a French speaking school, the band, the whole saga was popular and, uh, sort of where they're at now. But 
He's a really, really sweet guy, don't you think, Brad? Absolutely. Yeah, and such an amazing songwriter. I mean, I feel like when he played the live podcast, just as soon as he started singing with an acoustic guitar, everyone was just like silent. Yeah, it's true. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of the band. I like their, I like their stuff. Yeah, I like their records. They're great, and I feel like if you, I would check out the new record. But if you like the new record, I would go back and check out all their records, really, because I feel like they're not like really gimmicky band. Like they don't really like you know but i feel like they're one of like the quietly most kind of consistent indie rock bands like every album is like has great songs on it consistent but also like there's something new yeah. you know like like some bands can just do that some it's probably the hardest thing in the world to not disappoint but to like come have a new angle on on, on each record sort of yeah that's true so there you go there you go so i think they can do that they can do that. Not many of us can. No, no way. I'll just do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. A D E. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it, man. <laughs> it's like power chord, octave chord, <laughs> breakdown, <laughs> blast beat, <laughs> repeat. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, this is a great interview. Um, check out the new Nana Surf record. And here's our interview with Matthew Cause. Right. How you feeling? Good. I feel good. You ready to do this? Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super official. Matt, what's up? Oh, uh, <laughs> do you for Matt or Matthew? I, I, maybe I'll switch to Matt just to be yeah. just to freshen things up. Yeah. I've always been a Matthew. Okay. Always, always. My middle name is Matthew. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's like a double first. Yeah, it is like a double first. Yeah. Although a lot of middle names, I guess, are. Yeah, first. that's true. That's true. Yeah, I guess a real double first is when your name is like Bob. You know, right? But Harry John. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Okay. I just feel comfortable around you. I think that's. Yeah. I remember um, the first time we met uh, was at that place in Williamsburg. I don't think it's there anymore. That Asian coffee shop place, I think. Supercore. Supercore. Yeah. Um, I love that place. Yeah. That place, is that still around? I'm not sure. I, I know, I think they changed owners and stuff. Yeah, I'm um, never really in that area anymore. Yeah, me neither. Since I moved, yeah, same. But uh, I remember I was interviewing you for someone, and then we ended up just like hanging out for a while. Yeah. And you were like, had just stopped drinking caffeine. Right. And oh, like, right. yeah. Yeah, I'm now I'm trying this new thing, matcha. Yeah, I've actually read that? about that. So it's like an alternative? So it's green tea powder. Okay. And it apparently, according to the literature that you can find online, uh, one cup of that is like 20 cups of green tea in terms of all the good stuff you're getting. Really? Yeah. And it's this really like vibrantly green powder and you push it through a sieve, a a strainer. Um, And then you put just a tiny bit of really hot water and whisk it with this uh, bamboo whisk into a little froth. Okay. And and drink it. And the other day, I've had it for three days straight, and the second day, well, yesterday, I had a ton of it just to see what it did. Uh-huh. And it's it's pretty good. It's like, yeah. a, it's like a slow coffee high. Like, it lasts Interesting. seven or eight hours. What does it taste like? Green. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, extremely green. That's good. Yeah, I'll try that. Because yeah. someone was telling me, like, caffeine is, like, can, like, really add to anxiety and stuff like i have a friend and he was like stopped yeah. drinking it and he was like and then i was like totally didn't get panic attacks or anything anymore yeah yeah i think it does add yeah. to that a lot i'm i'm relatively are you an anxious person yeah i'm pretty anxious yeah do you meditate i try to i used to be really good about it and then like the yeah. last year or so it's my it's gone really bad i've kind of started it and i'm a really late late bloomer um then the big can I tell you what my turning point was? Absolutely. My turning point was, because I tried to do it for a long time and thought I couldn't and was really frustrated and thought like, I'm not good at this and I can't empty my mind. And then somehow in conversation with somebody who was talking about failure and how important failure is, I realized that failing in meditation is, is the point and is great. And if you can't do it, that's good. And yeah. that the more times you have to bring your attention back to whatever then it's working that little 
it's not a muscle, right? But you probably, I'm sure you know, you know all this. It's just an exciting discovery for me because I am anxious and I'm always looking for ways to to turn that down. And this is kind of helping. Do you have like a set period of time or time of the day or anything? Twenty two minutes. Yeah. Timer. Um, like uh, you know, like on an iPhone or something like a like a timer. Otherwise, I can't. If it's just looking at my watch, I'll be looking at my watch every minute. Right. Um, yeah, twenty two minutes in the morning. Uh, no lotus position, no sitting on the floor, just on a comfy couch. Right. Stare into the, stare at something in front of me and, uh, and fail again and again. Yeah. And it's kind of awesome. Yeah. It's liberating to think that, that, that that's the point. Yeah. That's a good, that's a really good way to look at it. Cause I think it's so easy just to be like, I suck at this. Like, why can't I do this and just get frustrated and be like, uh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 great, and I, and doing things like gently, I feel like as a new discovery. Like I've started to run slowly. Like I hate running, but yeah, but I like having done it, which is a, that's a famous. I think it's a Hemingway quote or something. I hate writing, but I love having written. Right, and uh, I don't like running, but but now running really slow, just like pathetically slow, is great. Yeah, because then I'll do it. Speaking of running. We yeah. saw each other during the New York Oh my marathon. god, you were on a man. <laughs> I remember running through Williamsburg Jesus. and coming around a corner and you were just standing there and I was like, Hey man. Yeah, oh my god. <laughs> I'm still so impressed. That I mean Yeah. That I actually is. did four of them. I haven't I haven't run in a while. You but. looked like you weighed four pounds. <laughs> like I don't mean the way your body looked. Yeah, I yeah. mean the way you were running, you were just like boodly doo. I, I was pretty I was I was training along. a lot. I was doing like twenty mile runs on the weekends. Like oh I was really into it. Oh my god! Yeah. See, I don't think I've ever even run far enough to get that runner's high. I don't think yeah. I, I've never run more than like five miles, and 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 that was like a a big peak. Yeah, I mean, it's really cool because it it's interesting. Like, I actually, it's fine. We're talking about meditation because yeah. the last time I did the last time I did New York Marathon, I like I was trying to run eight minute miles, and I was like ahead of pace the whole time, and it, I was like. I'm going too fast. I'm going too fast. And the last two miles, like my legs hurt so bad. They're like burning. And I was like, I can't do it. And then I was like, just thinking about what I did in yoga, like just like the breathing. I was like, just focus on the breath. And I literally just like, didn't pay attention to the pain. Wow. And just was like one breath, one breath. And then it was over. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know my, yeah. Cause we, we don't know each other well, but I was like, I really like you. I thought, thought you seemed like such a nice person. And, but you seem very well rounded, like doing music and running. Yeah, even just those two things, <laughs> like that's well rounded. I know, I know. That's a very, very cool. And yeah. speaking of music, yeah, you guys have a new record. Yeah, you know who you are. Yep, yep, yep. Is that that title isn't all based on the because Texas the Reason's album? Do you know who you are? Which was obviously that John Lennon. Um. Oh right. Yeah. Somebody else had mentioned that. No, yeah. it's not. It's not. Um, it's, uh, I guess it's a three level title and two of them are silly and not important. And one is kind of the real one. So the silly ones are like the Oscar speech. You know, I want to thank everybody who helped blah, blah, blah. You know who you are. Right. And then the negative Oscar speech, like this movie <laughs> almost didn't get made because of one person, you know who you are. <laughs> uh, but the, the actual thing is like, it's a, it's a it's a record in part you know you never know what it's about like it's just songs but but it's after having made it you know i can look back and kind of figure some things out and there's a lot about gut feelings in it and gut decisions and and those moments when you can't figure out what your gut feeling is and i feel like gut feelings are spoken of as something that you always have you know like in the language when someone says you know follow your heart or um you know do what you feel or Go with your go with your instinct. Like, but what do you do when you don't know what that is? Right. Or what do you do when you have two of them and they're contradictory? So it's kind of an aspirational title. I mean, I'm really speaking to myself, but I mean, ideally, maybe it's comforting for someone else to to hear. Like, you know, if if you don't know what to do and you don't know what your heart is telling you, then well, maybe get some sleep. Yeah. Maybe have a few regular meals. Maybe go outside a bit and probably, hopefully, soon-ish, you'll know. Yeah. You know. That is actually very reassuring because I feel that way all the time. Yeah. I feel people are like, what do you think of this movie? I'm like, I don't know. It was okay. Or like, what do you want to eat? I'm like, I don't know. Like, Right. 
I'm like, how do you, and they're like, I'm in the mood for this. I'm like, how are you in the mood for something? Like, how do yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how opinions are formed so clearly by, by some people. I, I don't always, I find myself forcing myself sometimes to, to have an opinion Well, because one's needed. I'm sure it just also depends on like what your passions are. Like I'm sure yeah. when you're like mixing a record or something, yeah. you're very opinionated. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you did this record with Tom. Tom Bonjour. Yeah. My old editor. Oh, right. Revolver. Oh, right. Yeah. Holy moly. You know, you know, we go back so far. Yes. He Tom. told, somehow I found out you guys were friends and he was like, cause he was saying my band could record there and we had talked for a while yeah. and yeah, you guys have known each other since we were kids. My, my, we had a guinea pig called Emily and Emily had a baby called Max, and we gave Max to Tom when he was six. Tom, not Max. Maybe maybe Max was six <laughs> days old. I don't know. Um, our parents uh, taught at Hunter together. Wow. Um, his dad was at NYU, but his mom was at Hunter, and my both my parents were at Hunter for a while. Um, yes, we've just known each other forever, and and have kind of been talking about guitars and stuff since we were thirteen. And you did some of that covers record at his studio also? Uh, yeah, yeah. But he, he did, uh, we did some guitars on The Weight is a Gift, a whole bunch on Lucky, um, some of the covers record. He co-produced the whole and recorded and mixed the whole, uh, no, he didn't mix it, sorry. Um, the whole Minor Alps record. Okay. Um, yeah, he's just he's my favorite person to record with just because you know it's it's like adding up two great things you know like a super friendship and then being in the studio which is my favorite place in the world so, right so those are the best days um yeah it was so weird finding out you guys are friends because i don't, didn't know either of you that well but yeah. i knew just two times the editor of this like metal magazine yeah. like yeah. super heavy music and then i knew you as like the guy from not a surf and i was like yeah. really right 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 <laughs> well that contact like yeah yeah right it's funny well i mean he was you know he's a real shredder I didn't know that. Yeah, he can like do sweep picking. Okay, <laughs> I don't know if he does it anymore, but like he he could. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. See, I know it's funny. I wonder if a lot of the people in Revolver, like that, Red Revolver, didn't know that the editor in chief was like a, a really just like a, like a cheap trick big star fan, like yeah, a super yeah. power pop dude, um, who happened to be working in a field that was more uh, more lucrative for the magazine. <laughs> Publisher. You also recorded with another uh, friend of mine who I love, uh, Chris Walla. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just I just saw him. I was just in Japan. Uh, oh yeah, working with him for a day. He's making the solo record of uh, the singer of this band called Asian Kung Fu Generation. Okay, who um, are the band that have brought us over to Japan all the times we've been there. And uh, yeah, Chris is he's amazing. It seems like he's always one. Like I remember him giving me like a burn CD, like at a Death Cab show so long ago, and being like, "These are some songs I produced. Like this is my MSN email. Like I want yeah. really want to produce more bands." Wow. And yeah. like his resume was like all these Death Cab songs. Like I think he'll be fine getting work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. He gets a lot of work, and I yeah. think he's really like producing a lot these yeah. days. I think he's really like living in the studio. That's awesome. Which is yeah, which is awesome. So I've always been sort of confused about your trajectory because you grew up in like belgium or something no I, gr I grew up here you grew up i grew up here okay um uh 81st in lexington is okay. where my where i grew up and then um but because my parents are uh because they teach they get sabbatical years every seven years um that's when you get like a year off for half pay and because my mom is a a French literature professor, we we went to Paris. Uh, so I lived there when I was five for the year and then when I was 12 for the year. And they put me in the local school and I didn't understand a word. And I think the people there must have been really nice because I don't have a traumatic memory at all of of that. I just remember sitting in class every day and not knowing what was going on and what anyone was saying. Um, and then I had a weird, a weird epiphany which is, it's funny because it just shows how, how strange kids are. Like, it hadn't occurred to me that it was another language. I was just like, well, I don't understand what anyone's saying. <laughs> but then we were reading this this book, this picture book, and there is this, uh, this grandmother. Uh, I mean, maybe she was someone's grandmother. That's kind of what she was called in the book, but you didn't see any other kids. Anyway, this, this older lady is sitting in a rocking chair, and she has a cat in her lap, and the cat is purring. 
but the French word for purring is ron. It's hard to say. It's R O N R O N ron. And uh, and I remember thinking, oh wow, that's oh that's that must be another word for purring. Wait, so there's just another word for everything, which is kind of like that Steve Martin routine. They have a different word for everything. <laughs> but I was like, that was a realization. Like, oh, there's. So all I have to do is learn all these equivalent words and then I'll understand what everyone's saying. And so then I became like a kind of a Frenchy kid. So they put me in the in the Lycée Francais, the French school um, on 72nd Street. So I went there for 10 years. Um, why am I telling you all that? No, to I explain asked. why Belgium, why why not Belgium, but, but does so, that make sense? So you went to a French-speaking school in New York? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I didn't even know that existed. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. Like everything's in French except for English. Um, but like gym is in French. Is it mostly like americans or is it most of people that came over it's mostly like like kids of french people who live in new york for business reasons or or diplomats um or um and then there are a few american kids and i always felt really bad for them because there's some kids like one of my best friends john livingstone he was there because his parents figured well if we put him in there he'll learn french but the thing is if you're not immersed in it and you're only learning it at school. That's kind of a slow, right, right, slog, you know. And it was also, um, it was just about the cheapest private school in New York. So I think, um, I think some parents who, yeah, wanted to send their kids to private school but didn't want to spend too much would send them there too. But, but yeah, that was a that was a tough slog. My f- French is weird for me because because um, I learned it so young. My accent is is right on but my vocabulary is not as good as my accent so if i talk to somebody in france um usually they'll just think i'm french but after a few seconds they're like <laughs> what is this guy's problem <laughs> like why doesn't he know the word for band-aid like, yeah <laughs> that's so simple and i can talk quickly around the idea of the word i don't know like what's the thing you know the thing the thing you put, you're hurt blood <laughs> blood feeling blood feeling and then the thing you put you know like why are you so weird <laughs> and so once in a while i do this strange things like i've gone into i don't know if in pharmacies for some reason i go into a pharmacy and give myself a, a worse accent just so they'll give me a break <laughs> <laughs> yeah my problem i took it for three years my uh-huh. sister was like a french major she spent a lot of time there but uh i can i was never good at remembering like the um masculine feminine yes oh it's awful yeah it's completely be like, arbitrary this speaker is a male but this pencil is a female yeah. i'm just like what i already yeah <laughs> I mean, and I've never even thought about, like, what is the point? Like, why did they do that? It's so over, over fussy. Yeah, and there were so many forms of every verb. Oh, like, yeah. it was, yeah. Yeah. I'm not really good at languages. That's impressive that anybody can learn anything. Yeah. Well, I think you're right, though. I think doing it when you're young is so much yeah. easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you, so you graduated from high school in New York. Yeah. yeah. Then I was going to go to George Washington University because my dad... Um, my parents split up when I was 15 and my dad had already started teaching there before the split was complete. He, that was sort of a, I think a kind of a step out. And so I missed him and I wanted to go to school there. And then three weeks before leaving, um, I just realized I didn't want to leave the band I was in. I had this band called the cost of living with, uh, with Daniel, um, and a couple other guys. And, uh, I just didn't want to leave it, so I so I went to to Hunter, um, and then the first term I did did really well, and then got bored or got distracted or something, and pretty much failed out of the second term, and and left school, um, much to my uh, mom's horror, I would say, um, and then I just worked jobs for like a year and a half. I worked at the Harris Poll, doing you know telephone polling like. It's just, it's just, it's the worst. Like trying to get someone to answer a half hour of questions about their phone service. I mean, it's terrible. I have so much sympathy for for telemarketers that usually, if I have a moment when they call, I'll like tell them a joke and stuff. And yeah, like, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not, I'm not gonna buy that. But uh, I know how, how how hard your job is, and, and uh, seems wanna, like less a of joke. a thing now, maybe like with cell phones, because I feel like you can't really like so many people don't have landlines. I guess. Yeah. And I don't think they can call so like I've never gotten a telemarketer really calling me. Yeah, and maybe maybe a lot of that energy and money's been being put into like online marketing. Yeah, probably. Or something. 
Yeah, well, good. Well, good. So a lot of people have been liberated from that. Yeah, I I thought it was so hard because if you work in a factory, presumably you could daydream, and if you have a a mental job like like you, if you're right, if you're writing, you could presumably pace around the house while you're thinking of the next sentence. Right. But telemarketing, your your brain and your body are locked down into this one thing in a script in a chair, bothering people. Right. It's just terrible. Um, and I, I worked at a at a um, document production place where they were this maybe at the tail end of when people would get junk mail and still believe that someone had typed it. Okay. So it was these like daisy wheel printers and I was, there were 17 printers and these giant Videc computers with this big latch door and the, the floppy disks. Um, I'm, I'm holding my, my hands very far apart. They're very far apart. They're very far apart. And, uh, and, there had been a flood there, so a lot of the printers would malfunction, and so I was just constantly having to re reset up the whole thing and clean these printers. Why am I telling you that? I don't know. Just a lot of jobs. I couldn't do a Wikipedia page. You worked at Airwax Records. Uh, yeah, yeah. My first my first uh, record store job was at a place called Record Runner, that then turned into Subterranean. Okay. On Cornelia Street. That was my first job. Uh, the the guy who was the main guy in the store uh, played guitar in this band called Winter Hours. And, um, so I started working there when he was on tour and then I eventually became their, their roadie, um, for a little while, which was great. That was my first like touring experience was going through the South with them. Um, they didn't pay me cause I didn't know you were supposed to be paid. <laughs> so they were taking advantage of a, but taking advantage. I mean, they were awesome guys and were really good to me. Um, and we opened for the Hootie Gurus. We, they opened for the Hootie Gurus. Um, and I was such a big fan. Like I love them, and it was on the "Blow Your Cool" pre-tour. So before that album came out, which, no offense to anyone, slightly overproduced record, uh, <laughs> but incredible songs. And so I got to hear all of those songs like in their raw, nice, like really kicking live, live version. Um, yeah, wasn't that? And then I was Earwax. I that was after this band started. So when Not a Surf second record, Proximity Effect, got dropped, we were in a in a kind of um, lull for a couple of years and I, I worked at Erex then so not as they formed like what like around 92 or something like something that something like that yeah well so so there was this cost of living made a couple of records ourselves um then that band broke up and then I was in a band called because 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 um and Daniel was in that band too uh and we did some we did some really fun recording we went up to Fort Apache and made a demo with Paul Coldry oh nice uh, which was you know I was super fan excited because of all the stuff made there and he, and he was he was really good um and then that band broke up too and then so we started a, a trio with a drummer called aaron conti um and we were called helicopter and we, we might have had one other name that i don't remember um and then we changed our name to not a surf and then we this is probably about 94 um we put out a seven inch I have a friend, Joe Habaika, who wanted to start a label. He started a label called Stick Boy. And um, he didn't have quite enough money to put the record out. And I didn't either, but we split it and got by that way. So he made the vinyl itself, and I, I had the covers made. And um, Daniel took that. He would go to, He's from Spain, so he would go back to Spain every summer for a while. And he took that single over there, and um, the he played it for a for a dj around town like you know there's super rock culture in spain you know there's the, no, i didn't know that yeah it's great there's this there's this neighborhood in madrid called malasaña and these bars stay up until forever you know like whatever like eight nine ten in the morning um and people are that, that is a terrible <laughs> is that my phone? i think that's you yeah we can edit this out don't worry about it um right so there's there's this neighborhood in Madrid called Malasaña where these bars stay open really, really late. And um, it's really like rock culture. Um, it's as if people's stereos are going out to a bar and that's where they listen to music. Um, so there's like a, a DJ in every single bar playing vinyl, often too fast, just to make okay. it more exciting. Yeah. Um, and well, I guess the reason I'm... The reason it's notable because it's not just that it's these rock and roll bars, but there's a slight slant towards garage and then a slight slant towards um, like 
power pop, which is a word that's come up a lot in the last few days, and I'm I'm, I'm kind of confused by it. So I, in fact, looked up the definition the other day. It's really like very specific. Yeah, <laughs> like the raspberries. Okay, and the the records and and um and Sloan. Uh, so what's my point? Well, well, that it seems like kind of the only place in the world where like the DJ will play shake some action by the flaming groovies and like everybody in the bar will be like, yeah, right on, you know, you know, like a very specific taste. Anyway, why am I saying Daniel brought the single over and this guy called Kike Tourmix, this 400 pound man, the singer in a band called the pleasure fuckers, um, put it on. Daniel's like, this is my new record. And, And he, and he put it on and, uh, they they dug it and this label called Roto said they wanted a whole record so we we made an album um and you know on the super cheap like Aaron was the was the uh uh desk person at um the power station and so we got a okay. free a free night wow cut like 19 songs or something um and so we made a record for them and it's so exciting you know made the cover it's just like it's going to be great and they wanted it they're they're like great we love it we want it for spain and the world and we didn't know much but knew enough that like okay so you're just a label in spain you have no distribution here we can't we can't do that like we'll get distribution and we thought (laughs) yeah i don't know didn't want to be like a guinea pig of of a project that might work or not so we so we pulled out and was just sitting there with it and then aaron uh left the band um and we were sitting there without a drummer and daniel and i in high school used to go see the fuzz tones who were awesome if you don't if anybody doesn't know the fuzz they were like just new york second wave or first wave of like garage nostalgia bands okay like like um flesh tones and vipers and mosquitoes and bands like that raunch hands um and the fuzz were were great pretty pretty theatrical like a lot of like mushroom haircuts okay um black turtleneck um necklace of chicken bones you know a sleeveless uh jean jacket and rickenbackers and vox guitars vox phantom bass farfisa stuff like that okay um and a lot of covers of like what you'd expect kind of nuggets um back from whatever that back from the grave kind of stuff um and the drummer was awesome and then we got to know him and he was super nice and there have been a few points actually in in those first two bands where we needed a drummer, and, and Daniel would say like, "Let's call Ira," and I was always like, "Nah, he's really good," and I think he's in a lot of bands, and maybe we won't be able to hold on to him, and that's kind of a waste of time. I don't want to do that. Um, but then finally, when Aaron left, not a surfer, like, I thought, "Yeah, I feel pretty good about these songs. So, yeah, let's call Ira." Now, now's the time, and he was about to become a singer songwriter. He was going to quit drums. Um, he was in a in a metal band called a kind of a glam, glam metal band called Are You Ready? Um, and maybe, but maybe he wasn't doing that anymore at that point. Um, and uh, yeah, and he joined, and, and so then um, yeah, we were sitting there on, on that Spanish record, not knowing what to do with it, and then um, I sat next. I, I thought I thought because I was in the band, I better start getting ambitious. Right, I'd been pretty low ambition before that, but I thought I should kind of get started, and so so I started carrying tape around, and I was on the subway, um, and Mitch Easter was sitting right there. I was like, "Oh my god, I should really give him this tape." He's reading the paper, and he looks so peaceful. I couldn't do it. I couldn't bug him. And I met him year, year like three years ago or something, and I told him the story. He's like, "You took the other path, man. <laughs> who, kn- who knows what would happen?" <laughs> He's right. Who knows what would happen? Um, but then I met Rick Okasik and, and gave him a tape, and that, and then he, uh, that was insane. That was completely insane because he, I, I, I went out to dinner on that story for two weeks. Like you'll never believe who I gave a tape to. He's never going to call. And then like one day I come home and my roommate's like, "You should check the answering machine." I was like, "Really?" And uh, yeah, so that was that was him, and he, and he wanted to. He basically said like, "What is this?" tape i like it and i was like well it's our record he's like well you should put it out but if you ever record these songs again if you ever want to re-record them um i'll i'll, I'll produce it and i'll do it real cheap wow and, yeah and that's, and that's what happened so it was like pre blue album i guess there was a post blue album post blue album okay. yeah just post just post which of course i love the sound of right so that was that was exciting yeah so why am i telling you this because you were saying 
You'd mentioned what year we started, which made me think, right. think historically, and so now I'm so saying you, historical so you, things. So Rick does this record, and then yeah. you guys signed to Electra or something? We signed to, yeah, that was that was kind of neat. You know, we, um, so we had this album that we couldn't put out, and I sent it to Matador, and I sent it to Merge, and I sent it to Touch and Go, which are basically three of my favorite labels based on the bands they were putting out, and um, uh, maybe Teen Beat. Okay. And uh, heard nothing, which is no surprise because maybe it just doesn't work that way, you know. Sending a tape in, that, I think it worked more that way then, at least. Yeah, but that, yeah. That's, yeah, that's true. It didn't, but it didn't work that way for us. I mean, I've <laughs> heard, heard really funny stories about that kind of thing, like like somebody sent a to to Mitch Easter actually sent him a huge crate, and inside was a boombox with the band's demo in it. So all he had to do was like open up the enormous crate. <laughs> which That's so doesn't sound very easy. Like the Tasmanian devil kind of crate. Yeah. And then hit play. Um, <laughs> so I didn't hear anything back from them and, and didn't quite know what to do, but we were playing gigs and having a good time. And then we played at this place called rebar on 16th and eighth Avenue. And this guy called Bobby McCain came up to me and said, I really like that. Do you have a tape? And I said, yes. And I said, what, what do you do? And he said he had a label. He worked at a label called number six. And they'd put out um, the Unrest record, Imperial FFRR, which I really liked. And he'd put out a Dean Wareham single also okay. at that time. And I was like, that, that sounds great. I gave him the tape. And he called me the next day and he said, well, actually, uh, I also have a day job. I work at Electra Records. And me and my friend Ben Weber, who's now our manager, he said, uh, Ben played it for his boss. And now his boss wants to meet you guys. And so we went up there the next day and they offered us a deal right then. And so the funny part, this is just like a goofy, cute story is that, you know, we're, I mean, it's, it's feeling very surreal. I mean, meeting Rick was pretty surreal too, but this was also very surreal because it was not what we were really looking for, but a lot, a, a lot of headier air than expecting like a major label. That's insane. Right. Um, they said, who would you want to produce your album? And I said, oh, Rick Ocasek. And they said, right, well, I mean, if you can get him. I'm like, no, no, we got him. So it was, like, it was fun to have that. Um, but, sure. um, but we really hesitated, and uh, um, I didn't know what to do. And I called Rick, and I said, hey, so, so it looks like we... Because the way I'd left it with him, he's, he said, well, you don't have a record deal. If you get one, give me a call. You know, or let's stay in touch. And so I called him and said, told him what had happened. And he said, well... Cars were on Electro, it was pretty good. But uh let me let me send it to somebody. And so he sends it to Maverick Records, which is uh Guy O'Siri was the A and R guy who oh, now right. God knows what he does. He does a million things, right? Yeah. Like beats headphones and stuff or uh it probably manages a lot of actors or something like that. Um and this guy Freddie Deman, who I think maybe would have been Michael Jackson's manager, I don't know. Oh, it's it was Madonna's label. That's Right. That's what I was looking for. So we go out there, and they have this really compelling pitch. You know, they say, here, here, here are the CDs we put out last year. And he takes this stack that's like 12 CDs and puts it on his desk. And he's like, and here's how many records Electra put out last year. And he takes this teetering, like, three-foot hilarious <laughs> thing. And that was, that was pretty good. Uh, good tactic. And <laughs> um, we did, like, a... a showcase for them where we played in a, in a in a practice space on some really dodgy gear um and he took us to the movies took us to lunch freddie demand drove me around in his in his in a fancy porsche or something um but you know we were still confused and then my my sister had been at uh, my older sister hillary who's a big deal for me musically because she she really dove into like new wave and post-punk and stuff and played me all kinds of things for the first time she had gone to Harvard and was on the radio there. Um, and her program, she had a show called Plastic Passions. And she did a thing like have a, a 24 hour uh, Buzzcocks orgy, she called it, where she just played 24 hours of Buzzcocks and had, and had a Pete Shelley phone interview in the middle of it. Wow. Um, she, her, she'd always spoken really highly of her program director, this guy Jeff Weiss. And he worked at Warner Brothers and had, I don't know if he signed. Flaming Lips or something, maybe, maybe not that, but he'd, he'd done some... Uh, she always talked about him, again, really, like, admiringly, and, and it sounded like he'd done really cool stuff, and and so I knew that through her I could get in touch with him, so I did, and I said, um, hey, so these two labels want to put out a record, and we don't know what to do, and I don't really know how to choose, and this is all kind of unexpected, because I really wanted to be on an independent label. He's like, well, send me the record, and I'll help you out, and he sends the record over, and he's like, 
well, Warner Brothers would want to put this out. And, you know, it might have been smart at the time. This is clearly, like, possibly a bidding war situation, but we were just a little bit uncomfortable uh, with that. Maybe just nervous about the expectations or didn't, you know, even though we really could have used the money, I think it would have felt weird if someone had given us a ton of it. I was already feeling like it is kind of strange that these people want to sign us. Like, we're kind of a ragtag operation. You know, I don't... I currently now... 2016 i love being on stage but at the time i was i found the whole thing kind of scary and i didn't even mean to be a singer you know it's just i liked records so much that i wanted to make them but it wasn't like i felt like a performer or something it didn't feel totally natural for me so anyway uh we didn't do that and we just kind of got shy about the whole thing and just went went with electra um and then made the record with rick electric lady um really super fast super fast like he would just work from 11 to 8 and we did the whole thing in something like 11 days wow um i hope i'm not exaggerating not much more than that if it was and he was he was sneaky in a, in a really good way like you know we'd do like three takes of a song and he would usually say it's take one and we'd be like no 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 i, I made a mistake on this part and it should be take two or three and we'd go home with the tapes come back the next day of course he was right about everything and uh and as soon as we'd but but that day, so like right after we've cut something, he's like, "Well, I like take one, but so just for the fun of it, can you, can you go do a scratch vocal on that?" And I would, and he'd say, "Like do 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 it one more time, just just a scratch vocal." But I just like to have two, you know, just to hear what doubling sounds like. Oh, okay, do that. And so when we finish all these tracks, then I say, "Like so, I guess it's time to do the vocals." Now he's like, "No, you're done," because <laughs> I think he knew that he wasn't going to get anything better or more relaxed than right. than that take. So he just that is pretty sneaky. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a cool, cool tactic. Yeah, because you hear all this stuff about him doing the Blue Album and, like, Rivers doing all the guitars in one take and, like... Right. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, what did I... I'd, I'd heard that the... Because of a guy that I... I went to an engineering school. Okay. It's, I'm not slagging the place at all. It's the Institute of Audio Research, uh, but it wasn't a good move for me. I shouldn't have done it. Um but anyway, I'd met a guy there called Daniel Smith, and he's the assistant engineer on the Blue Record. And he was oh, telling wow. us about, uh, and he was a our, our drummer for a little while. Um, he was telling us that like the vocals took a super long time to get right the first time, and then the double, the Rivers then doubled everything in like everything in one take, just right. instant. Um, and then the guitars, like the sound they ended up going for was like a a boogie turned down really soft. Really? Like, maybe a lot of gain, but, like, quiet. They'd spent a lot of time to find this tone, and it was like a boogie turned down, I think. Interesting. I never heard yeah. that. Yeah. Um. So, I guess, that's interesting, like, your story, because I feel like I first found out about you guys, like, in high school through Popular, mm -hmm. and sort of, like, had no idea you came from that indie world. Like, it just, you right. know, like, because at that era, it was, like, there were all kinds of alternative bands kind of popping up and, yeah yeah i mean what's your what was that like and sort of like what's your relationship with that song now like um yeah i mean the both things you said well i'll say i'll answer that first um great you know i mean i, I i'm really proud of it like I, I i love that song um i think it's really funny um but uh the perception was super super weird and we felt it like like we knew what we were trying to do, and um, you know the dream was to be on a on a little label that was cool and that was good, and that to slowly do better and better and play slightly bigger clubs, you know. And and if I could ever get to like play the Ritz or something, I'd have been happiest guy on earth, you know. But it happened kind of weirdly backwards, and so I think I think the impression was a little bit that we were kind of a manufactured band, and and also kind of the it took us good lord so long to shake off this like weezer comparisons so tiring i'm sure i love them but like no i mean first of all i i guess like everybody you just try not to imitate anyone right it's a trap you know um so i didn't feel anything common with them except they're just like a band i liked but but same producer and we had a funny video and i used to wear uh, glasses um that was all really silly uh, I've you know it's a funny story. It's not I've only written this down once, so it's actually nice to maybe to say it is that this that song popular. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to this guy Bryce Goggin, 
Um, he's a producer. I think his studio is still called Trout at this point. He, um, we we looked him up because he'd he'd made he'd done three of the songs on Gone Glimmering that Chavez record okay. that I was completely obsessed with. Um, they were my favorite band in the world at that time, um, and so we'd done that Spanish record a lot of it with him. And for popular, uh, I bought this book on etiquette, uh, T- Penny's Guide to Teenage Charm and Popularity. I bought it at the, at the Goodwill on 81st and 3rd. And um, and I was trying to make this kind of sonic UC chords on my four track a little bit. This kind of chord that had not exactly dissonant, but it had like a, had some chorusing um, same note thing happening. I explained that badly. But, um, uh, this book was really funny and and so I wrote a chorus from the point of view of the things it said in the book which are a lot of things I ended up saying in the song like you know three important rules for breaking up and wash your hair they said every week I thought two weeks was funnier um, a lot of this stuff was hilarious and so I wrote this I'm party star quarterback all that stuff a chorus trying to write from the point of view of someone who really bought into this high school etiquette thing and so we'd play the song at shows and ask friends of ours like the more out like outgoing people uh to ask one of them to come up on stage and i'd hand them the book and 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 i dog-eared some pages and i said if you don't mind like read from these pages just read whatever you want and and so our friends would do that you know just one at a time and it's probably only happened three or four gigs anyway but but they read out of the book and then we'd interrupt them and sing the chorus and then and then they'd read again. And so my idea is that the song was going to be something like like The Gift, you know, the Velvet Underground song where it's a story on one side. The yeah. song, song called The Gift, I think it's on White Light, White Heat. And, and uh, one, the, the left, one of the channels is this really sludgy garage kind of dirge. And on the other side, there's John Cale reading um, this really morbid story about a guy who mails himself to his girlfriend and his girlfriend... Uh, opens the box with a knife and ends up killing him. Um, a guy called Waldo Jeffers was his name. And um, and then, so I, I thought something like that, or there's a pavement song where there's like a lot of, a lot of uh, talking that's um, really buried and muffled. So I had my uh, high school friend, Catherine Talese, um, read from the book a little bit. And I read from the book a little bit. Um, Kind of making, kind of you know, making it up, freestyling, like kind of. I ended up closing the book and making it all up, except that it really was very close. I, I just did that so it would flow more naturally. Anyway, so the point was that I'd be on one side, she'd be on the other side, and we'd both be totally buried. And so, so when Bryce is mixing the song, he's like, "So what's going on here?" And I, and I explain it, and he's like, "Okay, we'll take fifty minutes. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the track a while." So I go in the other room, and then he says, "Come back in here." He's like, "So." So you so you want me to bury these two vocals on the side? I'm like, yeah, totally. Like, I don't really want to understand any words. It's just going to be a jumble. It's going to be great. And he's like, well, check this out. And he turns her vocal off, puts mine in the middle, and turns it up. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I put my finger on the fader. I'm like, no, 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 way down. He's like, keeps his finger right there on the fader, doesn't let me move. And he's like, listen to that. I'm like, God, it's so loud. He's like, that's a pop song. I'm like, no, it is? Really? It is. Oh my god! Like I never would have done it that way. It right. didn't occur to me to be so like that's so outgoing. Maybe it's not the right word. It's so confident or crazy. Um, but yeah, so I, 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 owe, I owe him turning that song into a into a into a pop song. Um, but yeah, um, right. Indie world. We dropped out of the sky. People probably didn't know what to make of us. Um, and I still like that song. Yeah, it's just yeah. I think it's a great song too, but I guess it's just maybe not as representative oh, of no. your. You know what I mean? Like yeah. all of your records, yeah. I can't really think of another song that really yeah, sounds yeah, that yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not at all. Daniel's older brother is a real business guy, and and he once cornered me in a bar and was like, <laughs> was very like, you have one product that works particularly well. You should you just need to replicate that product. You need to do more talking songs. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like it, it just doesn't work that way. I mean, I could try. It would be terrible. <laughs> yeah. So do you spend a lot of time in New York now, or where are you sort of based out of? I'm based uh, sort of mostly in in Cambridge, England. Um, But I spend a lot lot of time here. 
Um, and my fiance is here in Brooklyn, so okay. I'm spending even more time here now. What's it sort of like for you to kind of like hang out in Brooklyn now, having sort of grown up here and like, especially like, I know we both lived in Williamsburg yeah. like 10 years ago. It was pretty bewildering there. I still have a tiny apartment there that I can't really afford to keep, but um, it's so cheap that I can't really afford to let it go either. So I'm, I'm not, I have to make a decision about it at some point. Um, but so I do go back there and, you know, Daniel moved there in 90, 90 maybe. Wow. 91. Um, and, you know, we kind of thought he was crazy. Like, where? where? And, but he had this huge, and he still, still does have this huge apartment. So we started practicing there with this band because, because, because. And the reason I ended up moving to Williamsburg was because when I would take the subway home after band practice, it was so desolate that it was kind of kind of dicey like i didn't like from bedford or something yeah yeah wow like at, like at midnight there was nobody and you know i don't love an empty train not particularly right um and that's more from just like growing up in the city uh in the 70s and going to a private school and wearing a uniform was not a lot of fun like i get followed a lot and stuff it was some like kind of dicey situations um situations um so yeah i moved there so i wouldn't have to go home at night anymore um and there was like one what you would call alternative business there was the l cafe do you remember that place no it's, it's it was where where that check cashing place was okay it was i think called it the, i think it was that space um and they had sandwiches like there was an edith piaf sandwich there was a leonard cohen sandwich you know so the, so the menu had that um, you know, it was an arty place, but that was like, that was it. Um, Greenpoint Tavern was there. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I guess you've probably had a lot of the same experience where like you go away for a couple of months or, or, or even less and you come back and you're like, what are those three new restaurants? Totally. It's insane. And I, I've definitely like lately there's, there's that salad place. There's a place where it's like, they make custom salads or something. Oh, and um, like, sweet leaf or green yeah, sweet greens something or something. Like that. Yeah. I was so confused. <laughs> I mean, I don't ever, I'm not saying anything, actually, I'm not saying anything mean, and I, I don't ever want to say anything mean about anybody, but but like, I was really confused because everybody eating there looked exactly alike, and they were all dressed exactly alike. It was like a... I mean, I have no idea what like working at Google is like or something. Right. But it, it seemed like that kind of like futuristic. Uh, we are all one, and our shirts match, kind of totally thing. And 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 everyone making the salads too. Like I, I, I don't know where I was, like in a cloning factory or something. <laughs> yeah, bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. I feel like, like, because even when I was there, like there was like that subway, but there weren't like really any other sort of chain things, right? And now it's like there's a Starbucks, there's a Dunkin' Donuts, or like making a Whole Foods. Right. There's like a Starbucks? Pretty, yeah, there's a Starbucks like right on, I think on North 6th or North 7th, right between like Bedford and Barry. It's huge. North 6th. It's near like really? that, that health food store. Like, oh, oh, Sen- Senac? Yeah, it's like yeah, really? next to that. Oh yeah. God. I remember when a place opened uh, this giant steak place like on 7th. It would. In what used to be Planet Thai, because there was a little Planet Thai, then there was like a much bigger Planet Thai. Um, this huge steak place, and I was like, that is way too big. That is totally going to fail. It totally did fail. And then a few months later, C opened up and was, you know, the, the, yeah. the that type of like packed. Just still, packed. that place is still crazy. Yeah. I mean, I still, I still love it there in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but even like, even in 2000, because I, I really spent a lot of time at home. Uh, again, when I was working at Earwax, uh, after the Proximity Effect, our second record got dropped, there was a long period where I was just, there was no touring. Um, I didn't have a job in the city. I was just working at Earwax. And so I was really like just there for two or three years, it felt like. Um, and even then it was like just amazing how styled out people were all the time. Yeah. Kind of like a, Kind of like the same impression I sometimes gotten in, in, in Japan, you know, where just people have their look dialed. Right. And to just buy lettuce. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Live in it. 
Do you remember the teal, teal girl? There was a, there was a woman who, um, I think it's teal. Is teal a shade of green? I don't Greeny, know. Greenish blue. Well, she maybe wore only teal and white, like really, only. and then kind of different different getups. Uh, but those just two colors, just no. like a real, a real commitment. Yeah. Like a, like a, you know, like a walking artwork. Kind of yeah. Thing. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like? So when you were at Earwax, I mean, what was it like sort of to go from having this big song and touring to sort of that kind of in between period? Um, it was, I mean, a lot of about it was great. Uh, I don't know if I can explain why exactly. I think because we, I suspected there might still be some kind of career, like things might pick up at some point. So I couldn't justify um, going to school. I thought maybe, like if I tried to go to graduate school, I maybe it would have felt disingenuous because what if something came up or like a tour, for example, uh, right. I'd have to leave. And same for taking kind of a more serious a job commitment. So, so I was really happy to be so, uh, relaxed. Um, but in terms of what was it like, uh, I'd sometimes forget about that, about, not about the band, but, but I guess, you know, since that's what we wanted in the first place was just to have a sort of more moderate, uh, career. Right. That would be great if it got big, but, but just go up at a slow pace and just build and i think so we were kind of back to that except without without uh any kind of record deal so we just started um working on let go um slowly and uh so i was really i was really happy i mean that maybe your question is hinting at whether it was like a disappointment or whether that kind of change felt like a like a a brusque change it was kind of slow um, okay because things just like the first record did really well and then kind of tapered off and then they're making the second one and the record label's really excited and they're not really excited anymore because we're not making any more of these funny songs and they're like please make some more make us a super alt rock radio smash i'm like i don't know how what do you mean i thought i think this record's pretty good why don't you just put it out right i think that first song hyperspace is kind of a banger maybe you should put that on the radio or try no you're not gonna try okay (laughs) all right well you'll put it out anyway right no you you won't you're not gonna put it out oh you're not gonna put it out at all okay you know so there's like this slow gentle uh uh, slide down down the down the hill But it seems like you guys really have that now. Like it seems like you guys have had such a steady. Yeah, people, you know, love the band, and I'm so happy. I mean, we finally we had the career path we wanted. It just was the second one. That's you know, that's had. a pretty wild trajectory. It is. Yeah, yeah. I, it'd be fun to draw a graph. Well, I, I mean, the graph is pretty simple. You just go up, down, and then go up slowly. <laughs> I saw um, through Catherine Talese, the person who who read on on that song her dad is gay Talise, uh the um big nonfiction writer and and through him we'd gone to this to the pen awards it's like the i can't remember what pen stands for but it's like a writer's okay writer's guild or something and uh kurt vonnegut gave a speech and it was amazing because he was he he had a a blackboard and he was drawing this graph and he said okay so this axis is is uh happy sad or for you know fortune good or bad and this axis is time and then you just would draw a graph like shakespeare usually does this uh you know hollywood movies usually do this many novels do this and it's like you know you start kind of in the middle life's okay then something amazing happens and then it goes all terribly wrong right and then it gets good again and then bad and then it evens out you know or whatever like and so yeah our our, our career path is like a a a big mogul like a giant hill that, and then it just goes all the way down and then slowly creeps up yeah and how do you feel about the new record? I mean, do you feel like it's... Because um, I've been listening to it a lot. I think it's great. Oh, thank you so much. Um, thank you. But how do you sort of feel like it sort of fits into your canon, I guess? Um, well... Maybe it's too soon to no, say. No, no. There was, there was a little bit of uh, of intent in the song selection. Um, in the making of it, we just made it like we always do. You just follow your enthusiasm and make make whatever songs feel good. But But we had 17 to choose from. And we wanted to make like a 10 song, you know, snappy record. But so in choosing what songs to put on it, I think we did consciously try to go around the bases a little bit 
Um, because I guess we were noticing that the variety was that there were a couple of songs that sounded kind of like our first album, um, and then some more kind of I hate to say middle of the road, but but that's kind of what I mean, like your sort of Tom Tom Petty Lane kind of stuff, and then some newer things. And so I think in choosing the songs, in answer to your question about how we feel like it fits in, it I wanted to make like like a like a compendium, yeah, you know, like a like a summary. Maybe. No, I think that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I remember the last record, Stars Are Indifferent. Uh, just, yeah. What's the re- Stars Are Indifferent to Astronomy. To Astronomy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah such yeah. a great title. Oh, thanks. That's, um, my, da- that's my dad's. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. It's something he says in class. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that first song on it was like kind of heavy. Yeah, oh, right. Clear Eye, Cloud Mind. Yeah, right. and I was like really into that too. I was like, wow, I didn't yeah. know that this was a side of the band, I guess. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I kind of forgot that really did have a heavy one too. Uh, yeah, on this one, there's that song "New Bird," um, that to me really feels like even before our first record. I remember playing like that, and it was it was fun when we were trying to figure out how to play it, and and Ira was looking around and trying a bunch of different stuff, and he's like, "I don't know what to do," and, and finally we're like, "Just pretend it's like the Karma EP, just like play like we did at the very beginning," and then he immediately started did just did that part on the spot. That's wild. Yeah. Um, so you guys, I just saw your tour dates. You guys are doing like a UK thing or Europe thing and then a mm-hmm. big US thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. How does it feel sort of gearing up for that? I guess like getting in that mode. I'm, I'm psyched. Um, you know, if it, I really, I really, I really love touring, but I really wish I was two people, you know, I mean, I guess everybody does, you know, like you wish you could go to work and stay home at the same time. And I wish I could go on tour and stay home. Um, so so I miss people when I'm away, uh, but the act of it, I really, really take to. It's so exciting, um, and you just feel like you did something every day. You right. know, I miss that about having a job job, um, that at the end of every day you've done a day's work, and that is a good, solid feeling, and um, I don't always have that. When it's like, if I'm home and it's like a time I'm supposed to be writing songs or that kind of thing, you know, I don't necessarily do a day's work every day. I should, and I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how to gain the discipline to really have, like, a regular routine. But I don't always. There's some days when, like, I tried, and nothing came, and I don't want to force it, and I wasted a lot of time. Um, but on tour, I just feel more useful. Yeah. I guess is the point. I don't know if this is too personal, but I no. remember when we hung out, like, eight years mm-hmm. ago, you were sort of in the mode. You were like, I just like, like, making dinner with my girlfriend and just yeah. like staying in and you're like, I never really had a chance to do that yeah, in my twenties. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah. I remember the first time that I, that I, I mean, I feel like the first time I did that, like stay home with my girlfriend and make dinner, I was in my mid thirties. Yeah. And I was like, this is the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> She's kind of like looking at me like, like, you know, not, not annoyed, but, but like, come on. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, I still love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cool. It seems like you kind of have a good mix of sort of stuff going on. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. It's a b- b- bunch of juggling, but but we're we're figuring it out. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty happy pretty happy time in life right now. Uh, that was great, huh, Brad? Yeah. After we Dude. did this interview, I took a picture with Matthew and I posted the caption was doing it for the cause. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty easy for you to get some puns. Oh, out of this. also, I had another great pun I showed Brad this morning. Nada? Did you use nada at all? <laughs> no, this was not a nada surf related pun. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, oh, did, yeah, yeah, your I, pun. I did an article for Noisy, which you can check out, which is actually really great with this guy, Steve Brown, who's like a punk rock yo yo master who I've known from Cleveland. I've known him forever. And it's the article came out great, but. I made an amazing saves a day yo-yo pun and I was telling Brad the situation where you can use something like that is so obscure, (laughs) but he's punk and it was yo-yo. So their classic album through being cool. Um, I wrote through being spool as a headline. Very excited. Also speaking of through being cool, I just thought of this. I haven't mentioned this, but me, my old uh, editor friend, my his colleague at Alternative Press, Aaron Burgess, and a couple writers at Rolling Stone just um, compiled a list of 40 essential emo records. 
That was my first oh, piece yeah. for RollingStone.com. Yeah, congratulations. Thank I you. I congratulated yeah, you the other night, but uh, yeah, Rolling Stone, man. As a music writer, that's kind of a cool, yeah. cool kind of milestone. Absolutely. So, yeah, you can check that out. You can tell us how wrong we were about everything in the yeah. comment section. Nobody's going to say that. As, no. <laughs> as, as people do with every list People never made. get upset with top 10, top 100 lists. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Um, but if you want to do something a little more positive with your time on the internet, want to go to goingofftrack.com <laughs> and make it. I thought I had like such a good segue there, and then I totally fucked it up. Go to goingofftrack.com. You can donate a dollar, five dollars, six dollars and sixty-six cents, whatever you want, um, to keep keep us paying for our server costs. And uh if you don't want to spend any money, that's cool. You can go to iTunes, leave us a nice review. You can tweet at us that you like the podcast. Um contrary to popular belief, we actually run our own social media. We don't have a huge PR company that <laughs> tweets. It's really us. I I well, I, I do. I have I have, team, I have a team of five 22-year-olds who write all my tweets that come out about one every 10 days. So I've, I don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope, you're, they're paying not that cool I hope you're paying them a lot because they're kind of <laughs> slacking a little. Yeah. I have a team of five college kids that just come up with puns all day. My, my team just retweets Gizmodo pu- tweets. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. I've noticed that. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, Check out the new Night of Surf record. You know who you are. Um, it's out now in Barsook. Just came out. It's great. I love it. Um, check out all their records. Um, if they come to your town, they're a fantastic live band. So do that too. And uh, yeah, we'll be back with another fantastic podcast next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.